next on the tee in Season 2, Episode 13 of Grow the Grind. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, turn up the volume and get ready for this one. It's my pleasure to introduce a two-time winner on the LPGA Tour with 67 cuts made and over 10 top 10 finishes, a member of two Solheim Cup teams for the USA, a Curtis Cup team member, a two-time first-team All-American at Mississippi State University, where she was a winner of 10 college events, a Mississippi Boys State Golf Champion, and my favorite player on tour, Allie Ewing. Our talk with Allie kicks off an event to remember at Mountain Ridge Country Club, just outside of New York City. The private club and its members played host to the Cognizant Founders Cup, and the views around the property were spectacular. A $3 million purse was up for grabs, and the stacked field was ready for the challenge. But this week was about more than just money. Yeah, it was for sure. It was a tribute to the 13 founders that started the LPGA back in 1950, and you could really feel it as you walked around the grounds. They had lined up pictures of each founder just behind the putting green with a view of the clubhouse, and it set the tone. It's been a long time coming to the LPGA for a purse of that type of caliber. Winner takes home $450,000. And back in the day when the founders were actually getting this thing started, they used to pass a hat around to make sure that they could pay the last place finisher. When you really think about how far the game has come, it's amazing. And it's a testament to the people that are running the LPGA, but also it's the grit and the determination of the original founders to keep the thing afloat when it was almost impossible. LPGA, PGA, there's so many great events, but... This one's certainly something to put on your list to see firsthand. The big talk around the course could be read above the Founders' Perch on the 18th green. Each year, the LPGA brings in big names. Lopez, Spork, Mills, Sally, just to name a few, to greet the players as they finish each round of the event. Written in the background, behind the hugs, smiles, and handshakes, is a phrase with words to live by. Act like a founder. This message carries weight and big expectations for the current LPGA stars on tour. As I watched Allie Ewing make her way through the game's pioneers and founder, Shirley Spork, I couldn't help but get emotional. It was such a joy to witness. And I know the game is in great hands. Allie Ewing acts like a founder. She is genuine and pure. If I ever had a doubt, it was wiped away after recording this pod. I picked the perfect player to look up to. I really hope you enjoy episode 13 of season 2 on Grow the Grind. I know I did. Allie, you are my role model. I look up to you for so many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is your heart and kindness. Since the first time we met you to now, you have done everything and more to grow the grind for me. Thank you for being my role model. Thank you for being an inspiration, and most of all, thank you for coming on the podcast today with us. Of course. Thank you, Allie. Gosh, you're going to make me tear up before we even get started. Well, yeah, how about that? <laughs> well, it is a big deal for us, so we, uh, we're really happy to have you. We don't have maybe the most beautiful day out here today. Uh, it's yeah. a Monday mm-hmm. prep LPGA, our first coverage of it, and we're at the Founders Cup with Yeah, Allie Ewing. Big time stuff, right? Yeah. You excited for this week? Yeah, I mean, I haven't got to check out the course yet, but uh, I hear nothing but great things about it. Like you said, it's a little kind of a misty Monday out here, um, which is Mondays are kind of slow for us on tour. Some kind of go see the course, play nine holes, maybe practice a little bit, some lay low, um, kind of get ready and rested for the week. Yeah, but Um, it's not like that for everybody. Yeah, because uh, we saw there's 38 or so people trying to qualify for this. Yeah. I think yeah. about a minute before you walked in with us underneath whatever we are, some nice little tea house. This is the tea room here. Okay. I don't know if you knew that. But, no. <laughs> uh, we had three going out for two spots. Yeah. And uh, that's something that I didn't even recognize was happening week to week with the LPJ. So, mm-hmm. so how does Monday. that how does that break down for those those girls that are trying to get in? Yeah, the Monday qualifiers. Um, not all of them are held on the tournament course. I think it's completely dictated on if there's a venue nearby that could kind of host it or not. Um, but obviously this week the Monday qualifier is being determined by, you know, the, the golf course we're playing on, which I think is a it's a pretty fair test because if you play the best golf on the course you're going to play, we're going to play for the week, then, you know, 
two spots get in. And uh, we actually, I think last year we ran into, since COVID, we didn't have Monday qualifiers available just for testing purposes and stuff like that. But they uh, got going back again They're this back. year. They're back. A couple two-unders. Mm-hmm. We have to check yeah. those scores. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Like 27 players or 37 for two spots. That's a lot of travel, too. I mean, I know we saw somebody here from, from California. So mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. coming out here for 18 holes. I don't know yep. if there's pressure. You never had to worry about that. I played in a couple right out of college just because it was like the in-between phase of not really – I turned pro, uh, didn't have status on any tour yet, so kind of just filling in and how do you testing get it. How it. do you get in? Yeah, it's, Is it an invite? It's, it's completely based off of whether or not you have um, connections, I'm pretty sure, like whether you can kind of put your name in to get into the, into the qualifier. And then obviously if you have LPGA membership and you don't – or you're not in the t- in the field, uh, you get an opportunity to try to qualify. Right. So let's break down what you looked like as a junior golfer, all before high school. Can you remember when you first picked up a golf club? Who started you in the game? Who taught you at a young age? And when did you fall in love with the game? Yeah. So uh, I'll go way back to four years old, uh, living in Tupelo, Mississippi. That would have been right before we moved to Fulton. My parents cut off a three iron for me, and uh, I think I hit just like plastic golf balls in the yard. And that was kind of my first introduction to it. But it wasn't until I was maybe 10, 10-ish, that um, I kind of got a little bit more intrigued by the game. Stanley Ramey, who was the course superintendent at Fulton Country Club, uh, kind of encouraged me and my dad to kind of send me to VJ Trollio, who I still work with in West Point, Mississippi. And we started, you know, a good relationship with him and uh, learning more about the game. And, you know, Stanley was a huge part of me developing when I got home. And I was away from, from VJ, my parents. So a lot of people had their hand on me at a young age. And uh, I'm struggling to understand how sawing off a three iron is the best choice for (laughs) a young Allie McDonald at the time to learn how to hit golf balls in the backyard. I mean, we're just hitting stingers off the fences back there. I mean, like I said, there was those little plastic balls. They weren't going very far. Um, I'm sure at four, I wasn't hitting it hard enough to hurt anyone. I don't know. I I gave Allie like a training grip nine iron. So at least there was a little loft for you. Uh, I think that might be the trick. That's like when you were hitting bottle caps with broomsticks back in the Bronx because we're in New York right now. So that's kind of a, I mean, you just train tough early. Yeah. yeah in I retrospect, mean, when you have one, you think you're sawing off a three iron? I, I don't know. Maybe we'll put them, uh, maybe we'll start in like the plastic set first. Okay. <laughs> we'll get them really, really early. That's a one and a half year old play for yeah, sure. Yeah, there we go. All right. <laughs> My number one priority right now is ball striking. And that is one of the best parts about your game. What I want to know is how did you get to this point? You know, every shot you hit will be pure in the dead center of the face. Any tips on that? Well, I can guarantee you every shot is not pure. So don't, <laughs> regardless of, of how far in yeah. this game you go, we're not going to hit a perfect shot every single time. So number one, you have to manage your expectations. So that's certainly what you want. Uh, but a lot of it came through good instruction, just knowing what that shot feels like coming off the center of the face. And then it's... It's making sure that your swing and your mechanics are repeatable. So for me, it's working since I was 11 with VJ Trollio. And I can't believe you've kept that same coach. I know. And it, How you rare know, is it's, that? It's rare. I mean, it really is. But he's been, you know, he's known my swing for so long that, um, I mean, I've certainly struggled at different points when, you know, we might be making some changes or something like that. But you know, in the full sense of everything, I understand him as a coach. He understands me as a player. And, and we've been able to, you know, sometimes have those conversations where I don't like the feel of this. I don't, you know, or, or something like that. you've adapted and yeah. evolved together since 11. Yeah, yeah. And it's crazy. So going back to the ball striking, it's just so much of making the swing so repeatable and, and understanding your misses too. So, okay, I just hit this shot. It was off the center of the club face, but maybe it drew a little bit. Okay, how can I make the ball start straight, start on line, and vice versa. If I hit a shot and it's maybe a little thin, maybe a little heavy, understanding why that is. And yeah. so I think I think a lot of good ball striking is having the technique, but also understanding when you do have those misses, because they will happen. 
is understanding how to kind of revert back and get back on where you're, where you're supposed to be. But if you were to tone down the modesty for half a second, mm-hmm. you would agree that you're a ball striker. Oh, yeah. I mean, isn't that kind of what you are out yeah. here on tour? I mean, you've always kind of had the ability to hit irons really close yeah. and give yourself outstanding looks at birdie. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's, it's something I've relied on for my, most of my career. Since um, when? I mean, a, a, even as a college golfer, um, I thought I always struck the ball really well. Probably not until the latter part of my high school career was I like, okay, I feel like I hit it pretty, pretty solid. And I think just getting to, especially we get to these tougher golf courses, I think this week is going to be a really good test. I think it's going to be a, a ball striking course. And that's when I can really rely and be confident and trusting, you know, that if I am one of the best ball strikers on tour that I feel like I've, if I put everything together, I've got a good chance to contend. Yeah. Let's, let's stay in that junior mindset okay. for just a little bit longer because yep. we are going to chronologically rip through this with you. Okay. Okay. So I don't want to get too far ahead and talk LPGA because we got a lot of people that love to listen to this yeah. and wonder a lot about like, what did she look like when she was mm-hmm. four? What did she look like when she was eight or 10? So from, from Allie's perspective, I think what you're trying to get out of that is how do I become a better ball striker? Yes. Right? When you're like having that difficulty of maybe you're chunking it or you're thinning it, how do you at get your to age the, too? As at, a twelve-year-old, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I think that we're developing, you're growing, all those things. There's many variables, but mm-hmm. we see a lot of kids right now that are. I mean, you look ball striker, yeah. right? You see a lot of your friends that, yeah. that just hit the ball pure. It feels like, and we know if you ask most tour pros, they say like, "I had two good shots today," and they shoot sixty-eight. <laughs> you know, sixty-six. Yeah. Like I hit two shots that I did. But everything else, I was just working with it. Yeah, that's not true from the outside perspective. Yeah, you know, the guys that are going to come watch you. There's a assistant pro here from the course, Mount Ridge Country Club, was already saying, "I've never seen the wind play. I'm excited." And they're all going to say the same mm-hmm. thing. You know, they hit it so pure every single time. Yeah. So how do we develop into that a little quicker? Well, I think two things are really important. Like I was saying, the repeatable part about the technique. I think you back it up even further. You've got to make sure on every shot that you're set up. If your setup is really good, your ball position is really good, those two things, you know, it's all about a checklist. So you start, if you're if you're starting up setting up to the ball and it's not consistent, you're not going to have consistent ball striking. So if it's one thing that I did that I hated, I absolutely hated it as a junior golfer was my coach told me to get in front of a mirror. Mm-hmm. He said get in front of a mirror and check your setup. Mm-hmm. over and over again you can you can take your alignment sticks and make a t and then you just walk in front of the mirror you set your club down with where your ball position should be you look at yourself in the mirror okay you no know, my shoulders are where they they're over the hips the hips are over the knees the knees are over the feet and then you look you got a little bit of spine tilt great my ball position's good you back off start back in again and you just look at yourself in a mirror over and over again and i hated it my dad stayed on me because there were weeks where i didn't want to do it in your room Um, in my room he even my dad uh nailed a mirror to our garage so i could do it outside too in case i ever wanted to make a swing after starting at what age um i'd probably that was one of the first things that vj made me start doing so that's 11 or 12 you know just repeating that stepping in okay my setup's good backing off understanding setup and the structure of your swing yep. that creates that ball striking result you're looking mm-hmm. for. Yep. And I it think starts with that visual yeah. and then tying the visual to the feel, I yep. think. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You know what's weird about that, Allie? What did you say you needed for your room like last week? I said I needed a mirror to see my setup because that's something I was working on. I've been working on a lot of stuff in my swing recently. So I'm buying a mirror. So sounds <laughs> like we know what we're getting. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, I think that we should talk a little bit of about practice and what you think the biggest priority is when it comes to practice. I know when I practice, my focus is on short game. Finding my touch while chipping, pitching, and putting is so important. What is your priority right now, and how has that changed over the years? Short game, it's more than 50% of your strokes out there. So it's 100% one of the most important. And I, even though I'm a ball striker out on tour, I don't, I don't spend hours on the range because I know that I'm a good ball striker because I've developed mm-hmm. it through the years. Obviously, it took hard work, but it's something that I know for a good amount of my game is going to be there every week. Yeah. So when it comes to practice and developing through the years, it kind of goes all the way back to ball striking. It's good contact. Mm. It's important even in putting. 
yeah. you know, you put it, you can put two T's in and make sure you're hitting it out of the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. You can go to chipping, make sure you're making good contact with chipping. And it doesn't even have to be making sure you're hitting it to a pin. It's just, if you put a stick down, put a ball right next to the stick, you can check your contact over and over again. You can vary how far you're going to hit it, but that's another way you can work on chipping. And then, mm-hmm. you, you know, you do the same thing on the range, right? We put our sticks, our alignment sticks down and you work on your swing, but I would definitely say that uh, short game is very, very important, and it's something that you continue to develop and hone no matter where you're at in your career. As yeah. a junior golfer, you know, you want to – I will say the most important thing that I think you can do for putting is is making sure you're, you're rolling it out of the sweet spot and you're starting putts online, but then – if you just go and nail your speed on a green, mm-hmm. you can beat a lot of people. Because uh, right. give another, any tricks for that? Yeah, there there are a lot of speed drills. One thing that I'm doing right now is I'm hitting. I set up a tee at five, ten, fifteen, twenty, kind of uphill. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty downhill. But I've got um, if you if you take like a quarter and you have four quarters in your pocket, mm-hmm. put a quarter down. You can make it as hard as you want. You can put a foot between each quarter and your goal is you go to the five foot tee uphill you want to get one in the first zone Mm -hmm. in the second zone in the third zone then you can pick the tee up but you move from five feet uphill to five feet downhill and you can't move from each spot until you get all three all three in your spots yeah and that's just kind of that reminds me of gutierrez drill they do a lot of that stuff that's it's almost like a zone putting but it's all for feel it's It's all all for feel it's all for speed Mm -hmm. and then if you uh that's just to 20 feet my coach says one foot is pretty hard so you can go a foot and a half between each or Mm -hmm. uh no depending on what level you're at two feet between each and then you still work on your 30, 40 footers. Another good one that I kind of do maybe on a Wednesday. So Monday, Tuesday, I might have drills where I'm, you know, putting to a putting disc or I'm putting between zones. Um, another drill you can do right before the tournament starts is I like to have nine putts in a row outside 30 feet. And I have to two putt all of them. Mm-hmm. So you just pace off maybe a 35 footer. And then you hit the putt, you have to two putt, and you have to do that nine times in a row to accomplish the drill. If you really want to get into like a play mentality rather than drill mentality. Do you find do that, that to be one of your tougher drills? It, it all depends. It's sometimes if you're if you're like really on and your speed's really good, yeah, you can you can roll through, through it. it. But that should be a confident anytime anytime I accomplish a drill and I do it really quickly, I just say, Okay, I'm prepared. So I, I think it's hard because on a uh, on another week, you know, that drill might take 30 minutes. So it, it just completely depends, but you always accomplish a drill. You've been aim pointing f- since you were in mid-sock game. Remember mm-hmm. the, the, alley, oh, yeah. the alley? Did you just donate those all the hand? <laughs> I think I'm, but yeah. I probably so, have a couple sitting in my, in Hannah, my drawer Hannah somewhere. Hannah Levi was talking about her, how strong her, her mid-sock game mm-hmm. was and how yeah. good that was in, in the Carolina Sands for – keeping sand out of of your socks but you retired those and you used to i don't you still do it i think you just i don't know if you work in thirds or you work like maybe three feet back off the cup Mm -hmm. right is that is that something that you've you've picked up through the years or is that something that you were trained and taught while we're talking about speed and putting Mm -hmm. and reading why don't we just bring this up right now one are you bringing the socks back ever and two who taught you that (laughs) you know in college uh i wore I brought out kind of the that the, those socks in college, and I was like, "This is kind of cool." And but now then you're I an developed. Adult. Now you're right an adult. now I'm an adult, but I I had someone who had who knew someone with stance. I was where the socks were were by stance, and I had a little bit of a connection there, and thought they were cool. And then I was like, I really started to notice the extra tan line that was there, and we already have a right, ton of double, tan lines. Double tan line. When we did so, our. Uh, event at the cradle hannah we talked about this during our other podcast but she was had the two different tan lines Mm -hmm. so that was really you couldn't handle it yep i I did it for i guess i did it for two full years i did it for symmetra and then my first year out here and i was like you know i guess if i'm still playing out here when i'm you know 35 or something maybe the socks don't need to be my look no (laughs) (laughs) especially once you win because you didn't win with the socks ever Mm -hmm. and and if you had won with the socks and you won some big ones you would have been tied to the socks yeah 
So thank God. I mean, I brought a, I did bring them out for Solheim. I, I kind of wore like mm. the, the shorter, I guess you, you wouldn't call them crew socks, but kind of the shorter length. What about I, that? What about the aim point? Yeah. Aim point. Uh, Tim Yelverton is my short game coach and he had, he had me do an aim point as soon as he learned. He, uh, he brought in Sweeney, who was kind of the guy that started it all, I'm pretty sure. And at that point, it wasn't what it is now. It was, you're handed a book. It had broken down on it. How many inches out you play a putt with a, you know, 10 stem, 11 stem, 12 stem. I mean, it was just like this booklet that you pulled out and you looked and you're like, okay. And you would take that onto the course with you. I would for practice, but, but I wouldn't. You can't, you can't for for tournaments. So you look at this book and you're at three o'clock and it's five inches out on the right or whatever. But now they've developed it to where if you have it and you can feel it in your feet, it's so quick. Aimpoint Express. I mean, it's it, it really. It's, you know, some people I've talked to don't really get the feel. They can't feel it in their feet to to really generate mm-hmm. the percentage and and reading putts that way. But I mean, I love it and it's mm-hmm. simplified for me. It's simplified my putting. One of the worst parts of golf is when you think you have it all figured out. Everything is going great and then you lose it. Even Allie Ewing can't always be amazing. So what I want to know is when you do get in those slumps, how do you get out of them fast? Well, I think a couple of things. You always turn back to what you know. Mm-hmm. If you're searching, you turn back to what you know. And you always think back to the good. Now, it's easy when you're in a little bit of a slump to just kind of keep digging yourself a hole and kind of just trying to figure everything out. Maybe you're turning to something new, but it's... I think it's really important to look back and even even at your young age you can think back to when you played a great round of golf yeah or when you you know you saw you you were putting in the hole looked this big it looked huge and you were just rolling everything in yeah. so I think so much of of that is kind of the mental aspect of tricking yourself into the good I mean it's mm-hmm. it, as easy as that might sound you know you kind of think back to when everything was great and know that you're the same person yeah. You know, you're this you're the same person that was draining all those putts and that was chipping shots in and playing great golf. So number one, you revisualize all of that stuff. And then you just you turn back to what you know. I'm not a huge change person, so I've never been one that's like, Okay, this isn't working working, let me change something. It's kind of just turning back to, okay, let's simplify this a little bit. Let's try to get all of the stuff and the chaos that's in our head about, okay, well, I'm not hitting it great. I'm not putting it great. Let's simplify this to what I know and then work from there. That yeah. would kind of that would kind of be my, my two big things. That's big time foundation stuff then. Mm-hmm. So it's knowing what, what works and mm-hmm. then being able to lean on that during those times of crisis because it can be crisis. Yeah. It's crisis mm-hmm. mode for parents out there watching their kids struggle after feeling like, Oh, he's hitting it perfect, or mm-hmm. she is. Oh, she's, I've had a couple of those times. Yeah, like it's, and then all of a sudden, it's like you're reaching and, and grabbing for like any solution or any advice that that mm-hmm. could possibly come your way because you think if like I just like latch onto that, it's going to be a quick fix. Mm-hmm. I guess your advice is is simple. You need to be really tough mentally mm-hmm. first and foremost, and then you need to know what works for you. Yeah, because yeah. so, everybody's different. Right, everybody has that. So I think it's hard for parents to, to understand that because I think they're all learning and kids are learning what it is that, that actually works mm-hmm. with growth and all those other things that we just talked about. And this leads into that next question of like, what what do you think, how crazy are these parents now that that really put so much merit and value and stake into their kids' success at the age of 7 to 12 to mm-hmm. 15? and when would you say, like as a professional, I and mean, we're sitting across from a pro right now, yeah. this is a pro. Yeah. What's What would you consider to be too serious from the perspective of, of junior golf? I mean, this is like a word to the wise type question for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I'm obviously not a parent yet. My husband is a college golf coach, so he sees a lot of junior golfers. But I can look back on my parents and how they handled my junior golf career. And I think so much of what my dad did, as well as my mom, they, number one, they were, they were so supportive, whether it was good or bad, they were so supportive. And my dad pushed me, but he also knew when to take his hands off and be like, if she's going to be what she wants to be, that's got to come from within. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of, I think a lot of junior golf parents, and you could probably say for any sport, 
a lot of parents want to see their kids succeed so much that sometimes they don't know when to say, you know what, I'm going to support you and I'm, I want you to do the best that, and be the best that you can. But for you to be your best, it's got to come from within. And I think parents can do a, just a huge service to them by letting them kind of figure it out. But my dad, like I said, he pushed me, but he also said, all right, you know what drills you have to do. Good and luck. it's up to you right. to find the, mm-hmm. the, the inner strength to go do them. He's like, I can't. It, I got to a certain age and he's like, I can't tell you to go do your drills every day. Right. If that's you that want to reverse that sounds like a lot. Yeah. That sounds, that like, sounds me. like a lot what you do. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. Yeah. But I, I always say it doesn't matter. And I know it matters to me because, I, like you said, I want it for her. I want yeah. her to have that success. I mm-hmm. want her to feel like her work that she's putting into it is, is paying off. Yeah. But two times in that, in that little answer, you said my dad pushed me. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a variant level of what people consider to be acceptable pushing. Right. So you consider your dad's pushing to be more than acceptable to get you to where you were. So yeah. what, is the, what did that look like? Um, Well, he not only pushed me as a golfer, but he pushed me as an athlete. Uh, So for me, that was multi-sports. It was, okay, it's it's off-season for golf in Mississippi, but you're on a basketball team, and that may not be your number one sport, but if we're in it, we're in it. And if you want to be be your best, then you got to work harder than everybody else at everything. Even before golf was big, it was like, okay, it's soccer, gymnastics. And even though I picked gymnastics first, I eventually was like, okay, I don't like this anymore. I want to do soccer. He wanted me to to be in shape and ready for whatever. And that was just being an athlete. And no matter what we were in, we were trying to be the best at it. I want to move in a little bit to high school golf. Okay. And I remember watching a video on you on YouTube a few years ago, and you were talking about playing high school golf with the boys. How do you think that impacted you and your game? Well, it impacted me a lot because um, when I got to high school, I think it was it was either ninth or 10th grade, I was playing with the boys, but I was getting to play from the women's tees. Eventually, they did not like that and uh, told the Mississippi High School Activities Association that I shouldn't be allowed to play with the boys anymore. Hmm. So then we had to go and speak with the MHSAA. Well, how many to, strokes were you beating these guys by? Uh, I mean, well, I wasn't always beating them because I have, you know, Okay, because you said they didn't like it, so I assumed it was because you were pounding I mean, I was beating several of them, but Chad Ramey was on my high school team who now is on the PGA Tour, played at Mississippi State. Another guy played at ULM. So it wasn't a lack of, like, I, I, was, I was pushed competitively by them as well because they turned out to be great golfers. But the big part for me was when I got moved back to the boys tees right when they said okay if you're going to play with the boys you're going to play with where the boys are playing from so which was what was the yard did you say like it it might have ranged anywhere like 6, from or it might have ranged 6, from six thousand to i'm pretty sure our high school state championship my senior year was around 68 wow something like that so you know some of the golf courses played really long for me and that was an adjustment for me is like okay well if I'm going to compete then I got to figure out how to hit hybrids really well I've got to figure out how to hit woods really well I've got to figure out how to be an athlete and hit my driver further because that's something that helped you with the tour now yeah I mean because I I wasn't I wasn't like a gym rat I kind of relied Mm -hmm. on basketball to help me get stronger and build my muscle and my legs and I relied on that and kind of just the more athletic motion of of Mm -hmm. running around and doing stuff like that to get stronger so when I when I did get to high school and had to play from further back it did push me to kind of figure out how to hit it further Mm -hmm. so it it I think it prepared me more for college than it probably did for the playing professionally but then as a professional it definitely shaped who I am yeah. for sure. Yeah. In the state championship, do you recall how that went for you? Um, my senior year, I won the state championship as an individual that we played so far back. It was actually pretty funny. The The host school tried to set it up, I think, for kind of to hope that I didn't do very well. And I took okay. offense to that. And, and, then, and then I won. You beat every <laughs> single awesome. guy in the field. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was definitely one of my fondest high school memories. And we won... Uh, I mean, if you have Chad Ramey, who played on the, who's on the PGA Tour now, another guy who played 
at ULM and then me who played at collegiate golf and now on the LPGA, we had a pretty good high school team. I think we won four state championships. Unbelievable. Seventh, See, gr- if seventh we don't grade have through 12. the intel on Allie, we're not going to get it out of her no. because she's too modest. <laughs> like, just to be clear, she just stated that she beat every single guy in Mississippi for the Gosh. state title in high school. All right. This is, we were going to graze right past this topic. Well, I mean, I, I know we should bring Angie on. If we can get Angie on, she'll tell us all these great little uh-huh. tips. One of the best moms on tour. Yeah, she'll tell you how I tried to play football, too, when I was really young. (laughs) As a kicker, I hope. (laughs) Do you remember the day you committed to being a bulldog? And what were some of those emotions you were feeling then? I do. I was in our house in Fulton, and I I had talked to my dad, and I said, I think I'm ready to to give Mississippi State a call. I remember calling, and I said, I I think I'm ready to be a bulldog. And, uh, you know, Ginger, who was the coach, she said, you think? Are you sure? And I was like, I mean, I'm sure I'm ready to be a bulldog. So uh, that's all, obviously a, a big uh, commitment and everything. But I was 100% in. I think I was 16 when I made the made the wow. commitment to that. It was and right, and it was a, right yeah. before I had made my uh, U.S. Girls Junior run. So I think it was the following summer that I how far made did you get in that? I made it to the semis. So you had a long list of schools lining up at the door for you at that point. I actually wasn't highly recruited. I remember there were a few schools. Obviously, Ole Miss was another one uh, in state that was kind of looking. But in whole, I had I had really narrowed it down to you know two or three schools, and I took a couple of unofficial visits to a couple of other schools, but. Um, really looking back, my name wasn't really out there. And that, that U.S. junior run that I made post-commitment to Mississippi State yep. was kind of like and my – the state championship post-commitment yep, as well. Yeah, so. that was kind of like my And then you had uh, like 50 aha. coaches shaking their head like, gosh, I didn't even try. Yeah. I mean, Look at how good she is Yeah, now. so it was – That's I, what's I think different. I, I think I would have still gone – I was still going to Mississippi State no I'm matter sure what. I mean, I was just – I was – I'm so rooted in them. And obviously what we did there was, was huge and I mm-hmm. – just have so much passion for the school. Oh, yeah. Along the Allie uh, Ortel YouTube stalker like mm-hmm. line here, we also at some point saw some interview with you talking about like the light bulb moment for you, where you're like, wait a minute, like I actually think I might have the game to do this. Like I might be able to make a career out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to look back now and be like, yeah, well, obviously, you know, look how good you are, but still you had to have the reservations and the doubt and like, hey, what am I going to do with my life for a long time? And from what I recall, I think it was a Mississippi state moment where you just like, wait a minute, I'm going to go for it. Mm-hmm. Dads want to say now, like, my kid's eight. He's going to go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my kid's 12. Why don't they realize that this is what they're going to do with their life? Like, mm-hmm. it's like I, we debate this and I talked to, about this with a couple guys the other day. And like, what's taking so long? I'm like, the kid is nine years old. Yeah. What do you mean what's taking so long? And I always go back to you in this because like, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of examples or stories of people like really telling me, hey, this is when I realized I could do it. So mm-hmm. I think you give people hope in, in maybe your process that it, you were maybe 19 or 20 when you when that light bulb happened. So tell us about how that worked out for you. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's two parts. Number one, you have to want and have the drive to pursue this as a profession. And then two, you've got to know that you have the skills to do it. And despite the success that I had as a junior golfer, which going up against people that are on the LPGA – uh, may not even look as as great because I mean there are a lot of great players, but for me when I got to when I got to college and I kind of developed and I saw myself become an All American, I saw myself play the Curtis Cup, I won some tournaments. I kind of understood at that time. I I don't remember my exact aha moment, but I do know that there was there was that time where I was like, okay, maybe I'm maybe I am better than I'm giving myself credit Mm -hmm. for. And I think winning that North-South was a huge part of just kind of, you know, you just kind of staple things as you go about your career and you highlight things that are like, okay, that was a a good one. This is proof. You you still keep reaching. No matter what, you still keep reaching. If you win every tournament in your junior golf career, you're still reaching for something else. But, yeah, it wasn't, like you said, 19 to 20. So if, if you've got a 10-year-old and you think, why doesn't he get it? I mean, the, Pretty young. the, the kids don't even know what they want yet. Right. Yeah. You know, at, like that's why they've changed some of the college requirements on when you can commit to go to right. college. 
you don't need a 12 year old committing to go play you know golf at usc they don't know what they want yet um so i think so much of that is knowing what you want at the right time and a nine-year-old's not going to know what they want no yeah patience patience be patient be patient i'm not saying you're old you are young i promise so don't (laughs) take this the wrong way are you the team mom your husband charlie is running the show for the dogs as the head coach and you have volunteered for years spending time practicing and teaching whenever you can at the barn. Talk about what those relationships mean to you. Well, I won't say that I've adapted into the team mom. I certainly, you know, I, mm-hmm. I want to give them that feel uh, that I'm there for them yeah. in more ways than just golf. I certainly feel like I'm still at the age where I can, I, I'm still kind of cool. You might be cool. I'm, I, I <laughs> feel like, it's, it's I feel dwindling. like I'm still a little, You're I like, know. kind of like a five-year cool window. I know. I, it's it's kind true. Of, I'm sorry. It's, I've gone through it. I have to prepare her. I She's know. like, what are you, 27, 28? Yeah. I mean, I'll be 29 next month. I know. It's um, coming. It's October now. No, it's this now, month, actually. So yeah, it is the it's month. It's like you're in trouble here. So, so yes. Um, I just This is the first moment of realization mm-hmm. for you that at some point that yeah. might actually be. I mean, so my husband, Charlie, still thinks he's cool, but you know, he, he just turned 30. Don't he, tell him no, that. No, but <laughs> I unfortunately feel like he might be He might listen to this cool, and he thinks he's cool. But... He better listen to okay. this. But I think the girls on his team think he's cool. Uh, see, that's where I'm trying. As long uh, here's the but thing: why? as long as they always think I'm cooler, then we're good. You know. Well, that's true too. I think they do. Okay. Allie, do they think she's cooler? I think they. Yeah. I mean, they seemed like they thought you were really cool. So. <laughs> okay. So we've established that you have a okay. five-year cool window. Okay. Okay. I know but. my time is running out, so I'll. I, I do know that that being around them is a lot of fun. I listened to the recent podcast with Abby and Hannah, and they do beat up on me on some chipping contests occasionally. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just kind of fun to have, you know, other players that love the game and are working to to be the best that they can be around the barn, jumping in to play with them occasionally. Do they inspire you It's just a lot of fun. Absolutely. The young players inspire you? Because they have that, the rawness and the desire and the passion to, to, Mm. to keep pursuing and, you know, I think it's it's really humbling for me because they see me as an LPGA Tour player, which is really cool, but I want them to see me as Allie. You yeah. know, I want them to see me as, you know, do. just Charlie's wife and, and you know, the girl who knows a little bit about golf here and there, but also the one that can, you know, be there for them if, if anything comes up outside of golf. And, yeah, definitely. Um, I know as, as I get older that I'll probably transform more into the team mom but um, I, I'm enjoying every aspect no, of no brownie bacon for yeah. you yet hey maybe we've got the alley coming up and I'm going to be home so oh you're going to be there yeah so maybe I'll maybe, cool. maybe I'll whip up some brownies or some rice krispie treats or something I don't know she's going to be shaking her head after this she's going to be so mad about it but Charlie we walked with Charlie in like Thornberry like a few yeah. years back mm-hmm. 2019 we met him that was when he was with the men's team. He was an assistant, and he was just your boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to him about, at the time, we were, I was like, hey, you need to recruit Aiden Gutierrez. He's a friend of ours. And I was like, you need yeah. to look at this kid. He's the best player in Indiana. He's like, okay, you know, I've heard of him. And now things have changed so much. you know. And at the time, we were talking about how straight you hit the ball. I remember just trying to like dig into mm-hmm. him, like, how does she do it? Mm-hmm. How did she do it so straight? And he was just like, I guess maybe like, just nice enough to, to ha- handle me for like four holes before I think he like <laughs> moved ahead to like three greens. And he's like, I got away from this cycle. But from my experience, I think you married a good one. We were happy mm-hmm. to see when you guys, you know, got engaged and all those great yeah. things that have happened in your life. Like you got to understand, like we've been through this journey with you. Oh, I know. You don't know. because <laughs> was, it, like, was it Olympia Fields like four, five years ago? It was. It yeah. was. Yeah. That's that where it kind of all started. Met, right? Yeah. And, yeah. um, so it's been great and, and meeting his players and like seeing that, like we're into the college thing. Yeah. You know, we want to get a feel for what that looks like. And if yeah. she's blessed enough and good enough to do it, then mm-hmm. it's great to have a, a role at X, but it's also great to kind of share, you know, what makes these places great. And we found yeah. that it's always the people. Mm-hmm. And so the Starkville people, you know, the people in Mississippi state seem to be, um, seem to be on the up and up and i think i think this question here is is one that you're going to need to answer pretty quickly and i don't think it's going to take more than one word okay so will the dogs win a national championship in women's golf someday absolutely (laughs) how long i mean we're close right i mean you never know i mean golf is just such it's just such a unique game it's um it's different than any other sport 
And the fact that it's a team that you put together and you've got five players teeing it up, four scores count, but then you get to the national championship and it's head-to-head match play, match play if you make it into match play. And, and I you've tell got you a what, good match play team. I, we do. And they, I mean, the dogs are scrappy. When they make it to match play, they will be a force to be reckoned with. There's no doubt because what, they, the, they, the tour, they have is desire. Is the tour going on during that time? I mean, is there a crossover event? Do we I don't, need to look ahead at the I don't know, but if it's not a major, it, they'd have a hard time keeping me from seeing right. that trophy being lifted. That'd be so cool. An auto withdrawal. <laughs> would you get a ring? Uh, I would hope. I don't know if I would. Really? I don't, You're like a part-time assistant. I mean, You're kind of a part of the thing. Th- I mean, well, we would You'll talk about it. You'll have to ask it. Charlie. Yeah, we'd talk about it. We'd talk <laughs> if you about earned it. it. <laughs> Speaking of earning something. Yeah, we started to talk about the Symmetra Tour a little bit. So I want to talk about what that what that symmetratory experience was like for you. Share some memories about that time in your life. And did you have any doubts about chasing that LPGA dream of yours? Yeah, so that that's a really good question because when I first got out of college and I went through qualifying mm-hmm. school and I missed full status by one shot, I decided that since Symmetra Tour started in, in like March, that I would go and play a couple of Monday qualifiers. And I said, if I got in to those and played well enough, then I might play more LPGA events. But I told my parents, I said, if I don't get in and I don't do what I want to do, then I'm committing 100% to the Symmetra Tour, regardless of how many starts I might get on the LPGA. Because my number one goal at the end of this year is to have full status on the LPGA. And I had just heard some stories of, of girls that try to do both. They they go try to make their Symmetra starts, but when they get in an LPGA event, right, they, they go play. play. And for me, I knew my number one goal was that was having full status at the end of the year. And it was kind of a difficult start on Symmetra. I don't think I played that great. I, I didn't miss a cut, which was really cool. I think that gave me confidence in my consistency. But I knew once I kind of got the feel out there in professional golf and everything it was it was kind of like a kind of building a bridge from college to the lpga for me that symmetra was so important because yeah i mean that's the first time i'm on my own even though my mom was traveling with me it was you figure out you, right. you don't no longer have someone to book your hotel and all that like you've got to figure out how to get from point a to point b oh and then you also have to go play good golf when you get right. there just kind of that gap filling in the spaces understanding the road life of professional golf definitely helped me prepare for the LPGA more. It's horns going off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that sponsorship thing is confusing to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's expensive mm-hmm. to, to try to go for this dream and, and, and qualify and then travel. And I don't know, somebody said it's, it could be as much as, you know, eighty ninety thousand $90,000 a year just to try to make it mm-hmm. on tour. Uh, what is that sponsorship process like? Did, is that something you'd be willing to share with us on how that looked for you? Yeah, I mean, I think my so my first year I was able to uh I had a great group of people that kind of I would say invested in me and I kind of you know, did kind of a payback system right. uh, for the first couple of years, but then when I got to good spot on the LPGA, it was building relationships with companies and um I think so much of I can speak for the LPGA players versus the PGA players. PGA Tour players, I think, are in a position to actually market for a brand, for a company, and they see value in that on the PGA Tour. I feel like for the LPGA players, so much of it is building relationships with these companies. They're sponsoring us because they are investing in us, not because they're they're making profit off of anything. The sponsors that I have are great, and I've... I've been able to form good connections with what are, everyone. What are your speedy rewards benefits? You know, it's funny. We we don't really even have speedways in Mississippi. We have them everywhere in we Chicago. Went, I know. I, I played in uh, a Pro-Am in Toledo. And so you don't have like a speedy rewards gold card no. where everything's like 85% off? No. Like if you want to buy some munchos I mean, I'm sure or if, something? I'm sure if, I, I'm sure if I, you know, was around them a lot, but I, I drop in when I see one. Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 2017 was your rookie season in the LPGA and was my rookie year playing in golf tournaments. So in some way, we started at the same time. I know my game has changed a ton since then. What are the biggest changes you have seen in your game since becoming a pro? I'd probably say the biggest changes knowing what's best for me. I think 
we're on the road for so much throughout the mm-hmm. year that you have to understand what the line is from quality and quantity. When I was younger, quantity was huge. My parents could go drop me at the golf course and I'd be there from eight to five. But for me, as I've gotten older and how much time I do spend on the road, it's knowing that, okay, I'm going to go get what I need. I'm going to have a checklist of what I need to get done on a daily basis. And when I accomplish those, it's knowing that I've prepared how I need to prepare and being able to kind of take my mind off of it. So in your first couple seasons, you spent hours and hours and hours out there grinding. You kind of, you, you were grinded. And then also the hard part, your rookie year is that you don't know any of these golf courses. So you're going so you out get there, learning, studying. You get there on Sunday or Monday, you go get on the golf course. If you play, make the cut on Sunday, you're getting where you need to go and you feel like you need to go see the golf course. Mm. Did you find that didn't matter in the end if you if you put that extra time out on the course versus if you did yeah, like this because, one here you've never played, right? Right. And you today today hustling out there to go play 18 holes. No, cuz two twofold, I feel confident in my game that it can carry from week to week no matter what the golf course is. It's still fairways greens and try to make a putt, right? Yeah. So, um, in terms of that, it was it was understanding that you can't you can't learn it all on Monday. You kind of have to space you it out Monday it. through through Monday through Wednesday and then be ready to tee it up on Thursday. Is your game yeah. the same? I mean, you feel like your swing's the same, you, everything else is... I think I've certainly, we've made a couple of swing changes since then. It's not been anything drastic by any means. I would say my game has transformed more into what we've kind of built it to be through the years. So I'm just seeing more of it unfold and more of it come to fruition in maybe my rookie year in 2017. How do you answer your own question, Allie? Mm. Um, I would say that my game has evolved a lot with chipping and my touch around the green from 30 yards and in. Um, that's been a lot of a difference. We go to Bolingbrook. There's a practice area out there, and that's something that has helped me a lot. So I would say around the green. That's a pretty good answer. I would say touch. Uh, what about driving distance? I mean, Bryson's kind of screwing everything up in the golf world. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a touchy subject or not, but I'm wondering if like he, f- I feel like he's putting so much pressure on the men to change the way that they train and their, the way that they approach things and the way that you know the courses are going to get set up. Is that trickling down into the women's game at all? Is that something that you, you see as, as being like a motivator for, for everybody to try to get that extra 30 to 40 yards? Because I've always found like it to be a little bit unfair from that perspective in that if a guy hits the ball a really long way on tour average and they have, you know, 52 to a nine iron in and a, and a, and a woman hits the ball really, really long and they have a seven iron or a six iron in. I find that to be a bad fit for the women's game and advancing it into that kind of like that limelight where you're seeing these ridiculous numbers. Yeah. So I don't know if that's kind of a two-part question. Can you speak to maybe some of that? Well, I definitely I definitely think we're starting to see more, more of it. Like the youngsters that are coming out, Maria Fossey, I think, is one that you see came out of college, Jennifer Cupcho. Sure. Ann Van Dam is also a younger one that's come out on tour, and they hit it a long way. But I think that's more – you're just seeing more of that development in the younger years. I don't think necessarily we're seeing it take over our tour yet. There's no doubt if you hit the ball a long way and you can hit it straight, there's an advantage there. I think you get to some golf courses and it might limit you depending on the golf course. If if the hole gives you what it gives you, it might be a three-wood off the tee if you hit it a long way versus a driver for average hitters. I don't, so, li- I don't like your answers. Yeah. Sorry. I, here's the thing. Volleyball, right? Okay. Beautiful game. Yeah. What did they do to that game in order to make it incredible in translation? They lower the net a little bit for the women, just a little bit marginally, Mm -hmm. and now it looks better than any game that exists almost Mm -hmm. in the female athletic venues, right? What if they put that hoop down to like eight and a half for women? I mean, See everybody it would, dunking oh it? my gosh, could you imagine? I mean, it would be, you know, up and down yeah. the floor alley-oops. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to be, I have three daughters, but I'm just thinking creatively. Remember like on night, I think somebody shot like nearly 40 under. It yeah. was it was crazy. I, I was like 39 under that year in 2019 when we saw you and you were mm-hmm. pawning off waters to my family as we were <laughs> walking around on like July 3rd. It was yeah. just like miserable hot, mm-hmm. 110 degrees. And you like, I got Lucy on my shoulders. I'm carrying Gracie. And you're like, mm-hmm. I think you had actually just made a bogey. You're like, hey, guys. You want some water? Yeah. Okay, that event, somebody went real low. Yeah, I think it was Young Kim that won by a lot, and she shot a lot under. But I, I when you, Do you talk understand about, my question, yeah, when when you talk about in that in that aspect, 
I definitely think you would see how maybe maybe the women aren't getting as much credit as exactly. they should. Exactly. Right. Because if you see, and and I would I would go ahead and say that you speak to a lot of our players on tour and they would say the same thing. If we were able to play golf courses like the PGA Tour where they hit, they're occasionally getting to a par five and your longer hitters are hitting a six iron in and your medium hitters are hitting a hybrid in mm-hmm. and then they're hitting pitching wedges into par fours. I think you would see a little bit of the gap drawn in and maybe a little bit more credit given but i i do agree i think course setup is a huge thing i'm for, just wondering i don't know i'm just talking yeah. like the other thing i just thought of uh and i'm sure you've talked about this with people so Holland cup's awesome Ryder cup's awesome curtis cup's great walker cup's great you know my favorite cup arnold palmer cup mm. and it's because the women play with the men mm-hmm. and they go out and they compete together why can't we get a cup like that? I yeah. mean, is it just that the tour is too too packed together with all these events and these big commitments? But don't you think something like that, where we have the United States women and men teaming up against you know a similar situation, that it would just like explode the women's game and everybody would see it for what it is, and that there is a more level playing field? Like, where is that conversation? Yeah, I will. I will say, I think there has been conversation in the last couple of years on getting a uh, mixed. Event. Man, that'd be so great. Um, it wouldn't be. It would not be like the Ryder right. Cup Solheim. But I mean, I, I would not be surprised in the next couple years or next few years to see a mixed event. Would there be interest on the men's side for that? I think there would. I don't know that it would be like the. It, I think it would be very big on what the purse is um, for the guys really but i think you would see a good turnout because i think it would be a huge opportunity for them to support us like like we try to support them yeah i mean everybody's wearing that hoodie yeah so it's a great hoodie it's a good hoodie i've got it on the road with me this week get that hoodie (laughs) what was the biggest sacrifice that was necessary for you to get where you are at today if i look back into when i was in high school in junior high when i had come out of basketball season into golf season it was always around spring break for me I turned down so many trips for spring break because mm-hmm. that was the week that I got to get my game ready for high school golf. I would probably say my parents would attest to this. We sacrificed vacations. Like we didn't we didn't go on vacation when I was yeah. younger because the funds were going for me and my brother to play the games that we loved and to play golf and play baseball and basketball and whatever else we were in. Mm-hmm. So it took it took sacrifice time-wise because if I wanted to be great, I couldn't. I couldn't always go on those trips. What about now? Because now they're different. I mean, yeah. You know, Charlie's I mean, busy. I'm obviously, yeah, I'm sacrificing time at home. Right. I've, Maybe putting the family on hold even for. Yeah. You know, that's another thing. You know, I'm still very, very fortunate to have all my grandparents, and right. I don't get to see them as much as they'd love to see me, and as much as I would love to see them. My mom and dad, obviously, they they get to come out on the road occasionally and watch and then you sacrifice time time with my husband i mean he's he's busy himself but they're definitely especially at the professional level as much time as we spend on the the road, road the road the road i mean if it weren't if it weren't for friends that i have out here as well as my fate this this would be a very very hard thing to do so you just talked about faith a little bit and as you know we're not the sbn so we talk about whatever you want. Faith has seemingly been in your core in everything you do. What can you share about that, and how does that make you a better golfer? It's a great question. I'm glad we get to talk about this. So another part of, I think, why I've been able to have the success that I have had is because golf does not determine who I am. So when I look at myself in the mirror, no matter what I've shot on the course, whether it's 65, 75, 85, whatever it might be, I don't look at myself and see my score. I look at myself and know that I'm a child of God and my faith makes me who I am. I was told this at a young age that no matter what you do in life, it's a platform that God has given you to kind of put your faith out there and to live for Him. So for me, in the platform that God has given me is being able to play great golf and I can 100% give him credit for that in the in the talent that he's mm-hmm. given me. Obviously, I've had to work. You know, he didn't just hand it to me, and and I couldn't do no practice and just be where I am. I've had to practice, but there's a 100% reason that I've gotten where I am because he's given me the talent. Yeah. And but but I think so much so much more of it is the perspective of 
I'm out here on a weekly basis, but I've got an opportunity to impact lives. It's not because of me lifting a trophy at the end of the week, if I'm lucky to do that. It's walking by volunteers and telling them, thank you for your time. It's appreciating the people in our hospitality that are serving the food. Thank you for your time. It's getting to meet people like you on a week that I might not have met y'all in Chicago had we not both been named Allie here. <laughs> and it's it's just being able to form relationships. You know, I've got a great caddy and just being able to to share passion together for the game that we love. I'm obviously blessed to be able to play the game and do it because I love it. But at the same time, God has given me the platform to use to glorify him. And that's what I try to do every week. I mean, the Southern girls talk like you too. You know, it's mm-hmm. definitely rooted in your upbringing and in your southern culture but it's more than that i think we always are looking for signs and it's you know we've all gone through things in our lives that mm-hmm. have been a, more than enough of a challenge to quit mm-hmm. and i'm certain i'm certain that you have too i mean you've mm-hmm. been blessed you said your grandparents are still here in that loss but uh, hasn't happened and other losses maybe not as severe but we certainly have had stuff like that alan mm-hmm. you know we're looking for signs and the ironic thing about all of this for you is Okay, so all families have, you know, funny little anecdotes and weird things. Like I know Sarah, my wife, had this thing when they were little. They uh, used to call it the Tom Checks. And if any of her brothers, she had five brothers, okay, mm-hmm. if any of them were bad, they would always say, I'm going to send you the Tom Checks. And it was like this pretend placement, like a basement with a caged oh. intimidator, okay? <laughs> okay? Okay. All right, so follow me for a second okay. here. So like in our household, there's just names that seem to be like staples. Mm-hmm. Dr. Para. You know, if you're bad, we're going to send you to Dr. Para, uh-huh. and you're going to get a chicken shot Uh-oh. because you're not eating your chicken. Uh-oh. Okay. And uh, Michael Jordan's name is like synonymous for just success. And so is mm-hmm. Allie McDonald. Okay. And so we've had a hard time here okay. transitioning from the Allie McDonald to the Allie Ewing okay. situation. And, you know, I, I'm saying this because I remember when you first went on tour. I felt like what a great moment for you. I think the boats were like honking in the mm-hmm. background mm-hmm. and it was your birthday. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so I, as a person of God that you are in faith, mm-hmm. and it was taking me a while to get to this point, what a moment for you to look for a sign and say, okay, I'm in the right place. And yeah. then I'm like, well, Allie McDonald, it's gonna be hard to shake that name, mm-hmm. not just in my household, but yeah. in general, right? Like yeah. she's really not gonna be Allie Ewing until she wins as Allie Ewing. Yep. And I'm like, she better win again. Yep. And then you go through like what would be like the most grueling set of rounds of mm-hmm. golf. And when do you win it? Anniversary. On your anniversary. Like you're looking for signs, you're I looking know. for validation. How much of that, those two wins, I mean, it couldn't have been more like poetic and mm-hmm. storybook. Mm-hmm. Do you attribute to like, just like, hey, God's looking down on me. Yeah, you know what's so weird about well, it's not weird, it's, it's just God. But that week in particular, I, I feel like I have my best weeks when I'm actually, when I'm walking and I'm just simply enjoying what I'm doing and I'm able to appreciate. Um, I remember I had an early tea time on, I think it would have been Friday in Georgia. I think I went late early. And uh, that Friday morning, I was walking to the temp tea and I just saw the water, the lake out there, and the sun was kind of coming up. And it was just such a beautiful picture of Christ and, and the, the world that he created for me. Like it was, I was listening to some music at the time, and it was just kind of like a, a moment, regardless of what the week turned out to be. Like that was just a moment where I felt his presence with me. Just getting, getting the win that week, I think I had not really questioned whether I, I, I had somewhat questioned whether or not I would ever win. I certainly felt like I could. I didn't really know. It's, it's, uh, it's you, really you hard. Were, you were trending. It's, I mean, it's you had been to, close in yeah. Scotland, and, and I know it's hard to win, but it, your game's your game's great. But to, to finally have it all come together and, and get the win, it, it was just an amazing one. And have my, my parents there in the midst of COVID when not, right. they haven't gotten to travel all year. Yeah. It was, yeah, it, like you said, it was kind of a And then where were you, Vegas for your second yeah, one? Yeah, Vegas. I'm two for two in Vegas. My first oh, yeah. college win was in uh, in Vegas. And so. your first Ewing win was in Vegas, too. Yeah, that's too. right. That's well, right. What's pouring on us? We haven't we mm-hmm. haven't really talked. Do you believe they were going to set us up underneath that umbrella? Our manager, Gracie, pulled us into here and said, you guys need to come in underneath this. That's why you have Gracie doing the big yeah. stuff. She's oh, smart. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. our, She's smart. Um, 
we didn't talk Solheim Cup, that's okay. Way to go. That's so fun to watch yeah. you on the Solheim Cup. Thank you. Um, and try to get back for 2023 in, in Spain. Yeah, that that's yeah. where's it at? Um, Finca Cortison, I think, is the name of the resort or something like that. Yeah. So it's in Spain. Hmm. Yeah. We know some Spaniards in Pamplona, so maybe we could sneak yeah. out there. Uh, yeah. And then, obviously, you know, the Curtis Cup was something that was always always at the top of your list, and then you go and do that twice the first year. You get pulled out of the bullpen kind of last minute. Mm-hmm. You've gotten a couple points for the U.S. now, and I think mm-hmm. now you're probably getting really bitter because it's been two trips nice. and two, you know, not-so-great finishes in yeah. the U.S.A. after seeing what the men did and how fun that was. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys are a little jealous of that. Yeah, it definitely fires you up. I mean, it, being on the team is one thing, but when you get there and you're – putting it all in there to hoist the trophy at the end of the week the right. Solheim Cup and you don't get it you have to listen to that old lady you gotta stuff. wait for two more years no. you gotta work yeah. for two more years to get on that team Spain and then, it is yep what do you think Al when we started this podcast journey a few years ago my dad asked me who I would love to have on it as a special guest anyone who knows me would have immediately said that Allie McDonald is the easy answer you may not be Allie McDonald anymore but spending the afternoon with Allie Ewing on Grow the Grind was just as cool. You gave us so much, and I plan on watching you dominate the field this week in the Founders Cup. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Allie. It yeah. was great to be on here. Let's have one of those like really peaceful, enjoyable walks this week. Yeah, after. peaceful, enjoyable. Get this rain out yeah, of rain, here. This is the day of the rain, yeah, and then it's, it's time to get to work for That's you. That's right. Yeah, we get this Monday, this rainy, dreary Monday out of the way, right. and then it's it's showtime. Sunny. Showtime. Thanks for coming yeah. on, Allie. Yeah, thank, thank y'all you. for having me. Okay, it's time to go eat some pizza. New York style is considered a sin to us Chicago deep dish pizza professionals. I guess we have to make some sacrifices this week. This is going to be one memorable week covering our first LPGA event. And always remember, golf is great, the grind makes it greater. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you. Thank you so much.